0: Father, we stand this morning because we know we stand on the foundation of truth. Jesus, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus, you said, I and the Father are one. Jesus, you said to Philip when he said, show us the Father. You said, Philip, have I been with you so long that you don't recognize me? Lord Jesus, we know that the Apostle Paul wrote that there is no foundation laid other than the one which has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. And we stand on this foundation of truth this morning, thankful, Father, that we can rest secure in the truth of Your Word and the truth of who Jesus is. May we fix our eyes on Him. May we learn to lean into Him and trust Him with all that we are. And may we grow in that faith. And Jesus, we ask that you, the author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith, that you would do that work in this body, Father, over this fellowship. And I pray that that extends, Lord, in every Christian fellowship in this region. Lord, in your kingdom, would you cover us with truth. And may we not be among those who shy away or shrink back. God bless the study of your word this morning. Open our eyes to our highest calling. bless the rest of our time together, Lord, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, have a seat and open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15. I love it. I did a wedding yesterday evening for uh, Ben and Jenna Harris. And um, at that wedding, part of what we talked about was uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, the Shema? Jenna's uh, side of the family, her mother and grandmother, uh, being Jewish, I, I made mention, I, I referred to the book of Deuteronomy in the Torah. And say it was in the Bible. It is, Bible, Torah. The Torah is just the first five books of the Bible. So I mentioned we're reading out of the Torah, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and read it went on. And it was funny to me because afterwards a guy came up to me. And by the way, I, I mentioned Jesus at other places in the ceremony, went to 1 Corinthians 13. Afterward, a man came up to me and said, what kind of pastor are you? <laughs> and I say, a good one? <laughs> bad pastor, bad. <laughs> No, I, I said, a Christian? <laughs> what, what are you asking? He said, well, what kind of Christian? Because you you read out of the Torah. <laughs> and it just struck me how wonderful is it. And I told him, I said, yeah, we haven't even gotten out of the first five books of the Old Testament yet. <laughs> And he was wondering how you can do that and be a Christian. I said, "Well, Jesus is everywhere in this book. Every word, of every verse, of every paragraph, of every chapter, every page, every book in the Bible is written to point us in one direction: the direction of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior." Amen. So it was interesting as I um, as I approached this morning's study and thought about these things and again looking for Jesus and considering Jesus you're going to see Jesus again today in these words in a powerful way but Jesus for us is the ultimate picture of what we are called to be not God of power which he is but humble servant which he was referring to himself as son of man The one who came to seek and to save the lost. The one who said, I don't come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. That's Jesus. That's the example. That is our highest calling. Now, what's wonderful about all this is two days before I sat down on Thursday morning to study, at our our elders meeting, we began talking about some new things. Some things we'd like to see introduced in in the body here, in the fellowship actually not new things, very old things, things that are very scriptural, but we haven't gotten to this point yet, being as young as we are as a church, and that's the idea of the addition of deacons. But you need to understand something, the church has got the whole elder deacon thing wrong, at least by outward perception. The Bible never talks about a board. The Bible never talks about power and authority structures in the church. What the Bible talks about is shepherds and servants. The word deacon is diakonos. We're actually going to get into that a little bit more next Sunday. But it was interesting to me because we talked about this at the elders meeting. We're praying about this. Lord, how do you want us to go here? And we're looking at scriptures about it and really wanting to be biblical in the approach of, of adding this, this role. I don't even like to say position, but this role of servants and what that's supposed to look like. And someone at the meeting, I believe it was Frank, said, hey, Rick, it would be great if we had some teaching on this in the next few weeks. And I went, yeah. And in my mind, I even thought, that would be terrific, but I really want to stay on task here. I want to stay on target I'm to stay in Deuteronomy and keep working through. So I sat down Thursday morning and I said, Lord, if there's something in the next couple of three chapters about servants, that would be great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if it's not there, can you go ahead and put it in? No. <laughs> And so I just prayed that and then I began to read through and I came to Deuteronomy 15 verse 12 and it's awesome. We're going to get there in just a second. Again, this whole idea of servants in the Bible it's a concept that I set aside years ago deacons because I thought it was unnecessary and I was trying to get away from the whole idea of, of leadership structure and authority and levels you know deacons being junior elders and elders being junior pastors and pastors being junior Jesus I, this it doesn't work that way as Les likes to say when you flip that whole thing upside down that the greatest among you is the one who serves that's the highest level you want to get to the highest of heights, and in Christianity, you be a servant to other people. For the Lord will exalt the person who humbles himself. We began looking at these roles of deacons, First Timothy chapter three verses eight through eleven, and I would encourage you on your own time read through that, pray about it. We invite all of you to be praying with us about what this looks like and who God's calling to this role of diakonos, servant. We have specific roles of service throughout the New Testament. Deacons, people who are called Diakonos, Epaphras in Colossians 1.7, and Tychicus, because we in Colossians 4.7. We have Phoebe in Romans 16:1, a woman. And you could probably add to the list Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumba. I'm not sorry, Parmenas. and Nicholas from Acts chapter 6, verse 5. You could add Priscilla and Aquila, mentioned numerous times and others throughout the New Testament. You're saying, wait Rick, I hear deacon and I hear men and women. We're going to talk about that. We're going to deal with this God's way, not our way. If you're uncomfortable with the idea of a woman being a deacon, then you're going to have to have a conversation with Phoebe. Because she was. Now, the Bridge Christian Fellowship has not only outgrown this barn, and we have, we're kind of spilling out. And I know there are those of you in the sun who are just digging it, and that's great. Enjoy yourselves, get tan. <laughs> but not only have we outgrown this barn, but we have outgrown the ability of a handful of shepherds and a tingly pastor to care sufficiently for this fellowship. It's too much. It's too much to do when we were young and we first began 20, 30, 40 people not a big deal a handful of guys could could meet those needs but the needs are much greater than a handful of guys and I really believe the Lord is leading us for sufficient care for this body this family in the direction of needing servants people in a role of diakonos deacons men and women who are ready to stand and be counted like Jesus to be those who are among us as ones who serve says, I need my car wash. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Next week, we're going to delve deeper into this. We're going to look at what the Bible says about this Greek word diakonos, what it really means, how does it translate. But this morning as we study, you might be interested to discover the biblical definition, the Old Testament definition of someone who serves, of a servant. You might be surprised at the picture because it's someone who has their ear pierced. Read with me Deuteronomy 15, verse 12. If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve you for six years, but in the seventh year you shall set him free. When you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you, therefore I command you this day, this today, it shall come about that if he says, we're talking about the servant, if he says to you, I will not go out from you, because he loves you, and your household, and since he fares well with you, then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door, or literally the doorpost. And he shall be your servant forever. Also you shall do likewise to your made servant. Moses continues here to speak the law to the people of Israel. To lay out, to remind the people of what was said all the way back 40 years before at Mount Sinai. He's reviewing it now for this new generation. But he's not just reviewing it, he's applying it in powerful ways. And here he repeats and applies the law of a Hebrew slave. Someone who might have gone bankrupt and had no means of supporting himself. So he sells himself to another Hebrew, to another Jewish person, into indentured servitude, into slavery. But the law is after six years, he gets to go free. And you send him out blessed and taken care of. So that no man has to stay a servant. And yet... Moses gives this caveat, he says, however, if after the six years of him serving in your household, he doesn't want to go, he doesn't have to go, and there's a way for him to commit to you for life. A way to be connected in your family for life. Now, Leviticus 25, 39 through 43, I'm not going to write it right now, but talks about this whole idea of if you are into trouble or if you have financial struggles and you need to become a servant, it talks about how that was done. But what would happen again if during his service a man found himself doing fine, comfortable, happy, right where he's at, not wanting to go out? What do you do? And so Moses says, you pierce his ear. You take him to the doorpost, you take an awl, you poke it right through his ear into the doorpost, and then a hoop will be placed in the ear, and he would wear that the rest of his life, signifying he now was an indentured servant in this household. He would never go free. He would only and always be in this household. It says, you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door or the doorpost. Verse 17. What exactly is an awl? Those of you who work with wood or leather, you would know this. It's got a little wooden handle on it, and, and it kind of comes up to a spike. Sometimes the spike is hooked on the end, sometimes it's straight. But it's for piercing through things, specifically leather belts. If you got holes in your belt, that would probably pierce through, well, today with some kind of machine. But it would have been made, handmade belts are made with an awl to go through that leather. So it can go through an earlobe. Oh. Now they perfected it. It's not like that if you go to Claire's in the mall. <laughs> I'd like to say that I'm not speaking from experience, but I am. It's another story for another time. (laughs) But the master would take his servant to the doorpost, line him up, stick his earlobe against the doorpost, and drive that all through his ear. Put the hoop in the ear, and he would be his servant for life. And that's key. You need to understand that. I want you to know this. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. The role of the bondservant is not compulsory. It's chosen. It's a chosen role. For a man and the people of Israel in and among the Israelites, a Jewish person, to be an indentured slave with that earring hanging off his ear. It said, I chose this. No one forced me to do this. The role of the servant, the bond servant, is not compulsory. It's chosen. And this came, listen, this is the beauty of how grace works in our lives. Jesus said in John 15 verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. then he says, No longer do I call you slaves. For a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. That's what a friend does. He's open. He's honest. He's out in front with other friends. And that's what Jesus was. He says, I've made you. I call you friends now. Yet Jesus' followers, and don't miss this, His followers, His closest friends... Chose a different title for themselves. Bond servants. In Romans chapter 1 verse 1, Paul writes, Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 1, Simon Peter, a bond servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. James, in James 1 1, James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude writes, Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. By the way, James and Jude were both half-brothers of Jesus. They were connected to him, step-brothers, and they called themselves bond-servants of Jesus Christ. Why? Why not brother or friend? Because bond-servant is a higher calling, a deeper role, a more blessed position. And the Apostle John, Jesus' closest friend walking on the planet, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, said, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants, the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. Bondservant bond servant by definition a bond servant is one who has chosen his place of service you could say you're going to have to forgive me for this he's someone who has chosen to give his all (laughs) for the Lord it's not compulsory you don't have to do it and listen you don't have to be here this morning You don't have to be a part of the... I've mentioned before we don't have a membership at the bridge because membership in the body of Christ is up to the Lord. You don't have to do it. You don't have to serve. You don't have to do anything in Christianity the Lord would say that you haven't chosen to do. God is so serious about this that He even says, You don't even have to choose to love me. You have that choice and this is so important that we grasp this these men who Jesus called friends chose to be called servants because they understood something absolutely wonderful something greater number two in our notes the role of the bond servant not only is it not compulsory it's chosen but it's not a burden to be a servant it is a blessing and I'll say this the moment that your service for Christ in any way shape or form begins to become a burden you have slipped out of that role and you're seeking something a little higher actually a little lower when it becomes a drudgery let me just make this uh, basic statement of bridge if your service becomes hard stop doing it I don't want anybody serving here who is serving out of bitterness serving because they have to oh man Every time I have to fill those communion trays, I'm just getting sick of it. But i got to do it for the Lord. God's going to bless my hard labor. Yeah, hard labor, right. Don't serve unless you've chosen to. And God will bless that. Because the role of the bond servant is not a burden, it's a blessing. Look at verse 16. It shall come about, talking about the servant, if he says to you, I will not go out from you, because he loves you and your household, since he fares well with you. The servant is in a good situation. Three things there that you can note about the servant who is blessed in the position. Three prerequisites, I would say, of indentured servants in the master's house. Number one, he must love the master. Number two, he must love the Master's household. And number three, he must love, or she must love, serving in the Master's house. You got those three things down? Those are the prerequisites for serving in the household of God. You love the Master, you love the Master's household, and you love serving in the Master's house. Can you say this morning, with absolute assurance, that you love the Lord? Can you say out loud, I love the Master? (laughs) <laughs> Amen But do you really? Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 You may recall Deuteronomy is the book of love Hear O Israel The Lord is our God The Lord is one And you shall love the Lord your God With all your heart And all your soul And all of your might Everything that you that love the Lord If you love the Master You're on your way To being a great servant In the Master's house and in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus declares this to be the first and greatest of all the commandments of God. Love the Lord your God. Anyone know the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, if you say you love the master, that's great. But if you're not loving your neighbor, guess what? You don't love the master. To love the master, you have to love the master's household. Our love has to go out. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. It's interesting. Paul calls the household of God... He says it's the church of the living God. The pillar and support of the truth. The household of God. The Master's household. It is the church. It is the church. And for reasons beyond me, the Master chose the church to be the representation of His household in the world. We're the house. If someone wants to come to the Lord, they come through Jesus Christ... But they come very quickly to understand that love is expressed and God is presented by His house. Whoops. I kind of think, oh, how are we doing? Paul calls the church the pillar and support of the truth. And that is huge. The pillar and support of the truth. A pillar. It's a place that people are supposed to be able to go when they need someone to lean on. Actually, it's not a place people go when they need someone to lean on. It's a people that people go to when they need someone to lean on—the household of God. Revelation three twelve. John said, quoting Jesus. Jesus said, "He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. A pillar is someone that can be leaned on, someone who's standing firm. How in the world do we stand firm? As a household of God, on the truth of Jesus Christ, in the love of Jesus Christ, a pillar." and support of the truth the support gained. the church is not the truth itself but it exists to support the truth to bear witness to the truth to literally be steadfast in the truth the household of God the pillar and the support of the truth and the servant not only loves the master but he loves the master's household he loves the church do you love the church? Why do you have been hurt by the church haven't you? While you been run over By people who are supposed to be Christians People who are supposed to love you People who are supposed to help you People who are supposed to serve you <laughs> Oops. Wait a minute If I'm a servant of Jesus Christ Then I'm the servant I'm the one who's supposed to be serving Do you realize once you enter into the household of God You've given up the right to be served? Did you know that? You have accepted Entering his household, the role of servant. You're saying, No, I am among you as one who serves, as Jesus said. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 tells us we are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. By the way, ever wonder why the servant had his ear pierced against the doorpost? What's that all about? Well, when that happens, a piece of the servant's ear stays in the doorpost, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, I know that's kind of gross. Bible's graphic, what can I say? But it did. And it signified connection to the house. The servant's ear. Is, I mean, the master could have pierced the servant's ear anywhere—out on the street corner, in the bathroom, close to the sink, so he can wash out the blood. I mean, anything. But it's on the doorpost to signify connection to the household. Pierce my ear, Lord, and I am bound to the household of God. And that doesn't mean only when the household of God serves me or treats me the way I ought to be treated. I am bound to the household as a servant can you say gang that you love the master that you love the master's household and can you say beyond that that you love serving in the master's house that for you serving in the master's house is a place of well being some have said I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven aside from being Theologically incorrect Nobody reigns in hell It misses something completely That service In the father's household That the role of bondservant Is not only our highest calling getting it will bring about The highest blessing You can possibly imagine To serve To serve That's where the blessings are Not because you have to But because you want to Not as a burden, but as a blessing. Now I have one more thing to tell you this morning. and It has to do with this driving of the all through the air into the doorpost. Again, why the doorpost? Well, part of it is that picture that it connects the servant to the household. But what other significant event happened on the doorpost in Scripture? The blood of the Passover. Great. Good. The blood that was shed by that Passover lamb and then wiped up the doorpost and across the top... You can see almost there a picture of a cross as that was painted on. That picture of the Passover lamb who is Jesus Christ. Jesus became for us our Passover. Amazing. Amazing. The picture of a servant. Again, we serve not under compulsion. Jesus didn't. We serve under choice. Jesus did. We don't serve because it's a burden. Jesus didn't consider it a burden. He considered it a blessing. But the doorpost tells us something absolutely wonderful that the bondservant is not. The role of the bondservant, and don't miss this, the role of the bondservant is not about clout. It's about Christ likeness. If you're ever asked, man or woman, to be diakonos in a church, a servant, it is not a special honor. I am now on the board of the deacons I have just stepped out of the fellowship up to the next level no Christ didn't step up to the next level when he came to earth did he he stepped down and that's our calling to step down and to keep stepping down one author put it walking the path of the downward spiral that results at the end of the foot of the cross service like Jesus going down not up The role of the bondservant is not about clout. It's Christ's likeness. Okay, but what, again, does the doorpost have to do with Christ? Exodus 12, verse 3. On the tenth of this month, they are each to take a lamb for themselves according to the Father's household. A lamb for each household. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it on twilight. At twilight, by the way, Jesus was killed on the fourteenth day of the month at twilight, same time as the Passover lamb would be killed. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And Exodus 12, 13 tells us, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And let me just add this, when people see the blood of Jesus, the Passover can happen for them. When they see the blood of Jesus on you, see you functioning as a servant like Jesus Christ, the reality of Jesus becomes clearer, and people can be saved by the power of the Spirit. Working through you, a blood-bought person, servant of Jesus Christ. Awesome. The Passover blood. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul said, For Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Now turn in your Bibles to Psalm 40. Because it gets even deeper, even more intense. Psalm 40, verse 6. If you're new to opening up the Bible and flipping through, just open to the very middle. Psalms are right there about in the middle. You should be able to find it there. Psalm 40 and verse 6. Now this is a messianic psalm. That is a psalm of the Messiah. A prophetic psalm because it's the words of Jesus being quoted here by the psalmist. Long before Jesus ever walked on the face of the earth. Listen to this says psalm 40 verse 6 sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired my ears you have opened burnt offering and sin offering you have not required then i said behold i come in the scroll of the book it is written of me who is that that's jesus I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, you know. Because the Father knows the mind of the Son. This is Jesus speaking. Behold, I come and the scroll of the book is written of me. These are the words of the coming Mashiach in the Hebrew. Messiah, Christ, Savior to us. Who did come, by the way, the first time. Behold, I come in the scroll of the book, it's written of me. He came the first time as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. But notice this. Look at verse 6. It says, my ears you have opened. The word opened is kara in the Hebrew. The literal translation is, my ears you have dug. My ears you have bored through. My ears you have pierced and so we see back in Deuteronomy 15 this picture of the servant whose ear is pierced that he might always be connected to the household of God now in the prophetic psalm of Jesus Christ my ear you have pierced that I might serve in the household of God forever and who might serve in the household forever? (laughs) Jesus because the highest calling is that of a bond servant but there's more The Hebrew writer quotes Psalm 40, over in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. It says, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired. And now, the Hebrew writer, he misquotes it. (laughs) See, there are flaws in scripture. He blew it. He doesn't quote it directly. If you're reading from Psalm 40, verse 6, it says, sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened, or pierced. But Hebrews 10, verse 5 says, Sacrifice and meal offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. It's not a mistake, gang. The body prepared for Jesus was like the ear of the servant. The body was pierced. The ear of the servant pierced at the doorpost. The body of Christ pierced on the cross of Calvary. The nails, not an awl, but a nail going through the hands of Jesus into the wood of the cross, not a little doorpost of a house. And it is through this that the blood of Jesus was poured out, that the household of God might know that they have the covering of the blood of Christ for all eternity, not just for now. We are covered by His blood, by His sacrifice. A body you have prepared for me. Prepared for what? A body prepared for piercing. Isaiah 53 verse 5. He was pierced through for our transgressions. Zechariah 12 10. They will look on me whom they have pierced. And John 19, verse 17 says, They took Jesus, therefore, and He went out, bearing His own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Hebrew is Golgotha. And there they crucified Him, with two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. And John adds his caveat at the end of John 19, verse 36. He says, These things came to pass to fulfill the Scripture. Not a bone of Him shall be broken. And another Scripture that says, They shall look on Him whom they have pierced pierce my ear pierce my ear Lord it's the ultimate picture of the bond servant. Jesus bears it out in his very life in his body Bond servant of the Hebrew slave in his ear in Jesus Christ the body that was pierced and Jesus did say Luke twenty-two twenty-seven. who is greater the one who reclines at the table or the one who served is it not the one who reclines at the table but he says no I am among you As the one who serves. And Jesus is the picture. He is the perfect bondservant pierced against that wooden cross for you and for me. He came not to do His will but the Father's will. He came not to be served but to serve. He came for the joy, the Bible says, the joy set before Him. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I want to end with this question. How about you? How about you? Do you want to be Christ-like? Do you want to look like Jesus? You don't want to walk like Him and have your life molded after His. It's going to require, gang, a piercing. It's going to require a downward direction to the place of the servant. Can we see our way through the cross to be bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can we forego the human desire for clout and prestige in favor of Christlikeness and piercing? This is what we're called to, every one of us in the body of Christ. Acts of service, lives of service. And Paul wrote Philippians 2.5 Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God did not re- regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But Jesus emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death. On a cross, and that, my friends, is the picture of a bond servant, and that's our high calling. And Father, Lord, it is so hard to walk in this flesh. I'm reminded, Father, that though we have the spirit reborn in us. As born again believers in Christ that the flesh is still here and there's this this battle, this constant war going on. And every time my spirit desires the fruit of your spirit, the love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness, father and gentleness and faithfulness, self-control, I long for these things, but my flesh rears up and wants prestige and wants the honor of men and desires authority and once power and God I pray that you will crush the flesh Lord I am asking you for myself that you will pierce the flesh pierce it through Father that we might learn to love you better as our master that we might Father be those who love your household and that we might be those God who love serving in your household Father, this is what we need. We need to be servants. We need to get our eyes off ourselves. And Jesus, you show us the best way to do that. To remove the selfishness of our lives is to serve. Oh God, make us servants. Make us servants like Jesus. That Lord, I might learn to be a servant in your house. I believe... In fact, fellowship, as we pray this, would you repeat this after me, all of us together? I believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. And He is my Lord. He is my Master. And He is my Savior. Amen.